Hi there, my name is John Falala. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Startup World, Startup Nation World, to be precise. Our topic for today is, is titled um, Zimbabwe Turning Point. I've written some excerpts from a research work done by um, WK Kellogg Foundation dated back to 2008 was published September 2009 John Makumba University of Zimbabwe Arawe Center for Policy Studies one as well, September 2009. This paper was founded by Kellogg Foundation. So, just reading some excerpts. Um, the Republic of Zimbabwe has an estimated population of 13 million people, with some 3 more million of them residing in South Africa, Botswana, United Kingdom, and several other countries. The country is divided into eight administrative provinces, while the two major urban centers, Arare, Boluwayo, are also designated as provinces in their own right. Masvingo is the largest province in terms of population and is located in the southern region. This is where the world-famous Great Zimbabwe is located. Also, in the southern region are Matabele Land North and Matabele Land South, which share a border with Botswana to the west. Both of these provinces are sparsely populated since they are semi-arid areas. They are well known for cattle breeding activities. The Midlands is one of the richest provinces since it contains numerous mines located on the Great Dark. Agriculturally, the three national land provinces, that is national land east, national land central, national land west, are the richest because they receive good rainfall during the rainy season. Located in the eastern part of the country is called Manika Land which is noted for its beautiful scenery, including several mountain ranges. This province has also has several mines and recently discovered Chadweza diamond fields. 20 years after the attainment of national independence, in the year 2000, Zimbabwe experienced what can only be termed a major setback in its transition to democracy. In the March of that year, the ruling African National Union Patriotic Front organized and mobilized hundreds of thousands of war veterans, unemployed youth, and landless peasants to invade white-owned commercial farms throughout the country. The ruling party had been shocked by the public rejection of a government-sponsored draft constitution in a national preliminary. In a national 
Lebisit in February 2000, with parliamentary elections scheduled for June 2000 and the emergence of a highly popular opposition party, the Movement for Democratic Change (MDC). The ruling party quickly realized that it was headed for a humiliating defeat at the polls and consequent loss of political power. The fact that MDC had attracted support of thousands of Zimbabweans, including white commercial farmers and business people, made ZANU-PF realize that only drastic measures could rescue it from certain defeat at the June 2000 polls. The unresolved land issue was only was the only variable means by which Mugabe regime could appeal to the electorate to support it in that crucial election. But given the time limited, the limited time between the constitutional plebiscite and the parliamentary elections, the regime realized that only violent farm invasions could effectively garner it the political support that it desperately needed in order to stay in the office. It's estimated that at least 150 and 10 white commercial farmers lost their lives as a result of the violence perpetrated by supporters of ZANU-PF during the farm invasion. Eight years later, in March 2008, history repeated itself when Robert Mugabe and his ZANU-PF were beaten by the MDC in the so-called harmonized elections. However, presidential elections were delayed by the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission for some six weeks, raising strong suspicions that they were being manipulated in order to save Mugabe from outright defeat by the MDC's Morgan Savangiria. Indeed, when the results were finally published, they showed that although Sevangiri had received more votes than Mugabe, he had not attained the majority of 50% votes plus one vote. A runoff election was therefore called for June 27th of June 2008. In a runoff to the runoff, Zanu PF unleashed a wave of countryside violence, which resulted in the, de- in the death of nearly 100 MDC supporters. The displaced of more than 50,000 people from their rural homes and burning of many homes by ZANU PF military working in cahoots with elements of Zimbabwe National Army, Zimbabwe Republic Police, and the Zimbabwe Prison Service, and the Central Intelligence Organization (CIO). The electoral environment was grossly skewed in favor of ZANU PF. Morgan. Savangiria was given hardly any space to campaign for support. Own media was not accepted, would not accept this campaign advert. He was arrested at least five times within the space of two weeks. MDC supporters were arrested, harassed, beaten up, tortured, and even killed for supporting MDC during the polls on 29th of March. Savangiria finally announced that he was pulling out of the race in a protest. Much to the chain chagrin of Mugabe and his ZANU-PF party. Zvangiria pointed out that ZANU-PF elements were seriously victimizing supporters to the extent that was supposed to be an election campaigner that turned into a war. 
indicted that he was not willing to go into the state house by riding on the corpse of so many people. Zek and the government officials disputed Zemegera's withdrawal from the race, arguing that this had been done too late in the process. None, nevertheless, Zemegera's withdrawal seriously embarrassed Robert Mugabe, who was itching for a fight against his arch rival. The NBC reader had also denied Mugabe the much needed legitimacy that he had lost as far back as 2002 presidential elections. This paper briefly outlined some of the perceptions in Babylon regarding the various changes that occurred in the country in the past 10 to 15 years, particularly when the democratization process was concerned. So basically, we can, from the story, which, from this uh, research titled The Impact of Democracy on Zimbabwe, um, from the short story I just shared with you, you would realize that um in this social political scheme of things in the african environment there has been records of violence and you know um interest castigated incidents that were necessary and uncalled for you know and um it's okay when people want to win want people to to know that the viable candidates for the elections what's not okay is for you to always you know for any political aspirants to do so at the expense of lives of others and what usually happens is in two dimensions Sometimes, if push gets to shove, and the entire population fears that that is even eminent, even within the democratic dispensation that they are in, they would rather face it once and for all and know that their death was unto the freedom of others. The second thing that happens, that usually happens in most cases, is that time faces out faces out elements who usually make a democratic dispensation unbearable and you know no matter how much of power drunk you may be in life you can never sit there forever time always beats you to it no matter how much of political greed you know any human being could have time always beat it to it and we've seen over and over again in different dispensation across African countries where um, maybe by death you know That's when the people receive their liberation. We've seen it in Nigeria happen in the past. And I don't mention names, but what is most important right now is that the question on my mind is that the turning point for Zimbabwe 
had started long before they had lost someone who thought it as his best right to you know accept a dictatorship kind of government on in a democratic regime and this I find very amusing because the end story always ends in two things it's either the democratic institution is strengthened and there's a reserve internally to make sure that democracy works for all or nature takes its toll on that system and time runs out on those who partake in these acts of wickedness. However, whatever fate you want to choose for yourself is up to every individual and every stakeholder in the realm of the affairs of nation building to always and always have this at the back of your mind. Power is transient. It's not static. The best you can do is to serve people, give the best of leadership, provide the best of the best of institutional democratic reforms that will put the nation in the direction of development, in the direction of A nation that attracts foreign direct investments and all of this can not happen without you know the people or the citizens being honest with themselves if there's going to be a transformation in a nation the people have to be fed up with the existing system and there has to be a resolve to not just overhaul the system there has to be a resolve to ensure that they that make up the system begin to question their ways, question how they do things, improve on it. What needs to be cut out needs to be cut out. What needs to be removed needs to be removed for the system to gradually grow into what we want as a developed country. And like I said, nothing bad happens all of a sudden. It really takes time. And once the effect is felt on the people, you know, they decide what kind of nation that they want to have. And one thing about life is that irrespective of the circumstances any nation finds themselves, I've studied nations to the best of my understanding. I realized that two things are very important time and the people. Now, the creator ensures that time works against any system that is on the path of self-destruction. The people, you know, any dispensation that contradicts the reality or that contradicts the evidence of transformation or development of a nation is a learning curve. It is usually stipulated to enforce in our memory 
what we what kind of government we need what kind of government we don't want so the struggles you've seen in different dispensation across your nation whatever nation you're listening from you would realize that those struggles ended up birthing transformational decisions across the nation decisions that would alter how all spheres of generations involved in the democratic process think so if you want to change a nation if one nation to become a first world nation there has to be a singular event or there has to be a singular leader or a singular dispensation that describes everything they don't want in a developed country in their developed country so that tells and informs their brain on what they should look out for on what they need on who they need to serve so i am dependent that as a nation builder who studied nations decisions of the citizens over time ends up shaping the citizens choice of candidates through every electoral process if it's a bad one it forms an imprint on the mind of the electorate and in next elections they make better choices if it's a good one trust me they would reinforce it by their support and their voice and they will also continue to reinforce it if it, it moves from good to great <laughs> from great to greater and so on <laughs> excuse me so for the case of Zimbabwe they are in a turning they're in a phase now that could regard as a turning point a golden opportunity to rebuild from the ruins and to also position the nation as a potential global force because the nation is blessed with natural resources and they are so blessed with urban capital so i wish my brothers and sisters in zimbabwe the best in their democratic reforms in their democratic choices and decisions in terms of who leads them in terms of who serves them in terms of their national commitment to see the nation become a developed nation in the committee of other nations thank you so much do join me on the next episode next Thursday will be about another country or another nation rather up until then we find out thank you so much do have a wonderful a wonderful weekend <laughs>